Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Arb Life Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kevin Scheimreif of Milton, Pennsylvania. Kevin is the owner of Steel and Grain, where he makes custom furniture for a nationwide market. We talk about Kevin's mishap introduction into the medium of live edge wood and also about the importance of a tight network for a small business to be sustainable and how each project is a unique story all its own. This is the Arb Life for Arborists to be inspired. So Kevin, uh, Kevin Scheimreif of uh, Steel and Grain um, why don't you tell me, Kevin, who you are and, and what it is that you do? Well, I'm a small business owner, and I basically started because I w- was bored doing construction. I did, I had construction business, I grew up, my dad had a construction business, and I got tired of fixing things and, built, you know, doing electrical and plumbing and stuff like that. So I decided, um, to build custom furniture, and I had... Learned woodworking at a very young age. Um, I grew up doing a lot of the um, sanding, staining, finishing of trim work for my dad's projects, and we do custom building cabinets and tables and things like that. And um, so I had like good foundation with that. And then I learned metalworking for automotive purposes. Actually, I thought I was going to be a mechanic for a while. Um, but so kind of just combine the two, and I I realized on a project I did while I was in construction that I liked doing custom. I designed a set of custom steps for a client. And so that design of doing wood and metal and meeting the client's needs and um, that was where I like found my passion. So I was like, all right, I'm just gonna build custom furniture. And so I just started building custom furniture. Um, that That was sort of one of the things that I had wondered about was your mentorship and your training, mm-hmm. you know, so it was, a, it, it, you, you have a deep legacy of building, um, and, uh, design in some aspects. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool. What, at what point does it become, um, uh, focused on the live edge medium? That was an accident. <laughs> I actually, well, I was still in construction, and I was building this house for... It was actually a friend, but um, we had to clear out some trees to make room for the house. They had 29 acres of all hardwoods. And so we cleared out about 30 oaks and got some of them milled for their house and we used in their steps and things. And then um, there's a couple nice big ones they didn't want to turn into firewood. They're like, you can have if you have them if you want them. So I took them, got them milled. And then, of course, I started, it's, I think wood hoarding could be considered an addiction. Because <laughs> um, once you start, like, ooh, well, there's a log, there's a log. And then I got another walnut log through a friend of a friend and had that milled. And I had some random crotch pieces. And I was like, oh, that wonder what's inside there, you know. Took it to the sawmill, had it milled with the live edge on. It was a real weird crotch piece. And after it was dried, took it to the kiln, did all that. Um... It was my first piece that I built as steel and grain. And I built it for a friend, and I was like, what can I build with this? And then I did, like, this waterfall leg, which, of course, 
I wasn't on Instagram, and I thought I was like the first person in the world to think of this. I'm like, man, this is awesome, you know. And I was like, I'm going to keep this natural edge. I didn't even know people did that, you know. Like, Because um, around here, you know, Milton's small town, you don't see live edge or higher end furniture in people's houses. and um, Or I didn't. The circle that I run in doesn't, doesn't do that. But anyway, so I built this piece and thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Uh, that I was the first person to use the live edge, and I was the first person to do waterfall leg, and what turns out, I was like <laughs> the 10,000th person. But, and, uh, so that was just like an accent, and I loved it. And I just loved, especially with, it was a black walnut crotch. And I love the difference, like the sapwood, you could kind of see, I loved being able to see the growth rings, and it's just so much different than like a piece of trim. Because you, you don't really get much story of what happened to that tree when it's a piece of trim and you're only getting this little four inch piece. But when you get the full width of the tree and you can see, oh, you know, here there was a bullet marker, you know, someone must have hit it here with a, tr a truck or, you know, chip bark off and, um, you know, you can see it grow and heal around different things. Like that is really cool to me and that's why I fell in love with the live edge and... Yeah, that's uh, uh, actually amazing that you would say it is true that these uh, these trees, each tree has a story mm -hmm. and is unique in that sense. And to say to say it like that, to say that you're you're sort of opening this tree up like a book, mm -hmm. if you will, like the pages in a book, and yeah. you're reading this story through time, and you're preserving it, you know, because you're you're making it into a piece. And that was uh, sort of the other. You know, the other thing that I wanted to touch on was you you joked about, you know, being a wood hoarder, but there must be uh, something to that. Like, like when you see a piece of wood mm -hmm. that's unique because I guess in a sense, all, all every different piece is unique, but is that where like the inspiration starts for you? Like, do you, in other words, do you, is it, is it, do you have to let that piece determine what it's going to be? Or is that the, you know, how do you feel about it, that? It goes both ways. Like that very first piece that I did was a coffee table for a friend, you know, live edge walnut with the waterfall like that. I'd completely designed around the piece of the wood. Like it had this branch going out that I left and so I just left it and worked with it. Now sometimes, you know, because I do 90% of my work is custom orders. So I do have to fit the piece into what the customer wants. But a lot of times I'll have wiggle room and be like, okay, well, you know, what if we would do this or I have this piece, you know, because I have a barn full of slabs. So I can take clients out and show them like, you know, this piece or that piece or, you know, you want something with a lot of character, not, and that... So I can kind of shape, find pieces of wood that fit the shape and the function that I need, um, or that my clients need. Right, and I, I think I think for me that's where it has uh, sh very striking similarities to arboriculture mm -hmm. and to uh, this idea that you the piece is sort of this this neutral the tree. The piece of furniture, it's sort of this melting pot of, it's almost like a conversation between mm -hmm. you and your client. Um, 
and it kind of transpires into this final product, which ultimately is, you know, what you create yep. or the service that you provide. Um, I guess, can you talk a little bit about not specific clients, but that process? I mean, is it frustrating? Are there, are there moments when it's frustrating or challenging because you have these different visions and, and you have needs and a client has needs and those, you know, you, it, it can't always be perfect. Right. Um, yeah, it's, I wouldn't say it's very frustrating. I'm blessed to have like awesome, awesome clients. Like, and they come to me because they want a little bit, something a little bit different than what they can buy at a store. They want a custom piece, and they want, like, my input on it. Um, like, right now, I'm doing a big piece um, for the University of Pittsburgh, and they said, these are our dimensions, this is our wood type, we don't know what to do for a base. Like, we, they left me design the base, obviously they approved it, but, so I designed a base, a base around what they needed. Um... And I can recommend, well, let's use the slabs this way. It'll be a little curvier versus a little straighter or, you know. So I can have some influence, but still have it be a collaborative thing where we're both, you know, we're in it together. Because I want it to be something that I'm proud of. And I want them to be proud of it as well and have some ownership in it. And it's not just some piece that they found in a store. Like, they had input on the design and the build. Um, so that, over, I mean, once in a while I'll have clients that, they want something, or they want a piece that, uh, the piece of wood, I, it would, I think it would be better going this way or whatever, but in the end, it's, you know, what the client wants. And if they're happy with it, then I'm happy with it. Right. Um, right. But there's occasionally times where I would do something a little bit different. Right. Um, but overall, like, I won't build something if I think it's crap. Right, right. <laughs> like, I'll just be like, I'm not comfortable doing that. Right. Or I, you know, or I don't. You I have to draw the line yeah. somewhere. And I mean, sometimes those are relationships. Like, I did a desk for some clients in California. And there was a designer involved, which was the first time I worked with a designer. And she was very helpful as well. And But it was... The process with them wasn't frustrating. The amount of time it took. Because they had a very specific vision. And I had to find a very, very unique slab that I didn't have. And so I had... 40 hours in emailing and designing the piece like I can build a lot of stuff in 40 you know right 40 hours extra on top of the build right and like that part I didn't like, ex half expect you know I was like "Ooh, that you know when I got got done and looked at it, I was like wow that added up like that's crazy you know and so kind of going forward from there like having to price a little differently anticipating you know, that sometimes there's a lot of design work and back and forth that, you know. Right. Especially when you're trying to, they wanted live edge and they wanted waterfall legs and they wanted a very specific size. And to find a slab with waterfall, like with the branches so you can do a waterfall legs, hopefully your listeners kind of know what that is, but it's where the grain continues over the edge. So you need a significant amount of the branch from the tree in order to create a waterfall leg. And it was... It was a challenge. Like, I took four trips to different slab places and, like, would come back and email them pros and cons of each one. Well, we could do this or we could do that. And 
so that we ended up finding two slabs and it worked out like amazing they loved it it wasn't quite the original vision because it had to adapt to the slabs a little bit right um but uh you had mentioned uh your your uh sources for slabs mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about your process for acquiring material um mm -hmm. particularly if it if it uh has anything to do with local tree companies um upcycling mm -hmm. that green waste to slab it so that it sort of lives on in these in these pieces yeah so well i started before I started stealing grain, I had started getting trees and logs from around town um, that had been cut down for various reasons. And I kind of love that idea of getting this, like, waste wood or whatever. You know, like, this is literally some things I got were being sold as firewood. And I'm like, I am not burning this, right. you know. And so I love, like, I love the process. And 99% of my, the pieces I make are with slabs that I had milled from logs that I got. Like, um, it's just once in a while that I have to source slabs from a mill. Um, so yeah, like 99% is from stuff that I've gotten. So I know the story behind like, oh, I can tell you like this, the slabs in my shop, like that one came from a farmer's field. He cut it down because he thought it was hollow. Lo and behold, it was 3,500 board feet of oak that he cut down and was going to bust up for firewood. And so like, and I am not an extrovert. Like I don't like meeting new people and I don't go out of my way to like knock on people's doors for any reason, but for big logs, I will. <laughs> <laughs> like it made me get out. I was like, I was driving my motorcycle and I look over and I was like, good Lord, that's a big log. So I went and started knocking on doors till I found out who, like, someone was like, oh, yeah, the farmer, he's up over the hill, you know, go over there, you know, and talk to him. He's like, what are you going to do with that thing, you know, and like, I don't know, but I don't want it to become firewood. So I made him an offer for a couple hundred bucks for the log, and it was huge. I got a nine-foot section, a ten-foot section, then it was a crotch, which ended up being, like, two eight-foot sections, and then I had two 14-foot sections of quote, branches that were still 24 inches across. Right. Like, the base of the tree was 80-some inches, like, till they got it notched and cut down. I mean, I have slabs that are, like, 50-some inches across. <clears throat> do you mill? Uh, do you mill? I don't have my own mill. Okay. There is a, a Mennonite guy. He, it's him and now his high school-age son that work there. They have a, two band saws, one push mill and one, like, full hydraulic mill. And he's very reasonable, and he's five miles from my shop. Right, right. I take everything there. Um, and then that was the other thing. People started realizing that I will rent or get equipment to move these monster logs. Like, I had to rent, for that big oak log, I had to rent, like, one of those big material handler forklifts and drive it ten miles. Because <laughs> I couldn't haul a 25,000-pound forklift drive it like 10 miles to get to the site to load the logs like it was all a huge ordeal because i had to haul my motorcycle on my trailer drive the motorcycle get the forklift drive you know drive right like, all these it was a full you know have a friend who had a chainsaw big enough to cut the thing you know <laughs> cut it into sections because i didn't i didn't even have a chainsaw at the time you know and so word got out that i would come get big logs and so the arborists 
like figured this out <laughs> and I had friends would stop and be like, Hey, what are you doing with that big log? Like, I know someone who would come get it for you if you want. And so instead of them spending a day or two cutting and processing firewood on site, they could call me and say, Hey, I have this big log. Can you get it out of here? I would rent a crane, rent skid loaders, like whatever it took and get it loaded and get it out of there and save them a huge amount of time. Right. So that's been a huge like win-win for me and for a couple local art no arborists. Doubt. Like, you know, yes. the one guy underbid a job and he called me. He's like, dude, if you, he's like, this thing is a monster. If you could come get this thing out of here, like it would be a lifesaver. Because at that point, it's worth it. The the value for you it right. is is there. From a from a business standpoint, whereas they're at this point they're in the hole because right. they're trying to cover up on not in a bad way but they're trying to cover up on time right. and uh, labor whereas you're making an investment I'm investing my time and labor where especially starting out like I don't have cash to go buy a thousand dollar log but I can spend two days and four hundred bucks on equipment rental to get the thing out of there and like I you know especially starting out I had more time than money and I had a truck and I had like reasonable access to a heavy-duty gooseneck trailer um for a lot of years my dad had a track skid loader that i would use and then he sold that but there was you know i have other friends with skid loaders i have my own tractor now um but i've rented had guys like crane trucks come out to get stuff and it's worth it for me because my money investment is still relatively small and it's worth it for the arborists because they're cutting a huge time investment like they're just like doing away with two days worth of work totally know? yeah it's i mean it's it's uh, it it's amazing that network and and how these the tree can in one situation be totally not useless but valueless mm -hmm. and then in another situation it's like you know that old adage one one man's trash is another man's right. treasure and it's yep. it's totally it totally manifests itself in this situation, which is really, uh, really incredible. That was, that was awesome. Cause I had never thought about it. You, you don't think about like, okay, you're a furniture maker. Mm -hmm. You don't think about you having to rent, uh, or uh, having to dig wood out of people's backyards right. with <laughs> machinery and stuff to get to this one inch or not one, but two inch piece mm -hmm. or it's really incredible. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, I think that in that sense, the things that the trees uh, bring out of us, it's that whole process, that whole process is just as valuable as the final, that yeah. final piece or that final product, because you're going to have, you know, you'll have your, a lifetime of, of, or a, 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 por a portfolio of pieces, but a whole lifetime of these stories and, uh, you know, about getting this piece or getting yeah. that piece or, oh, I th this story behind this one is awesome or, or whatever, which is to me, that's, uh, that really just, it like, it's like, it lifts up the heart, man. It's, mm -hmm. it's so rad, but how can people get in touch with you? Uh, what is the process of uh, going about uh, having something made or uh, utilizing your yeah, services. I mean, it's pretty easy. My website is steelandgrain.com. And so my email, you can just email me, kevin at steelandgrain.com. 
there's actually a form on my website. You can contact me through there. Or on social media, Facebook or Instagram. It's just Instagram slash face or slash Steel and Grain or Facebook slash Steel and Grain. You know, you can look me up there and message me through there. I'm on there all, all hours of the day. Right, right. <laughs> That's, uh, Pushing product. For orders, it's probably easiest to email um, email dimensions and kind of a rough. It's a little easier to correspond that way. Easier to send pictures that you can, you know, look at on a full computer screen instead of a little phone or whatever. Um, but for orders, that's how I try and do most of my correspondence. That's or awesome. Or phone, or if you're local, you know, stop in and Drop look in. at pieces. Park next like to the flatbed. Yeah, park next to the flatbed. <laughs> look for stacks of Oh, wood. dude. And, uh, so awesome, man. I just, I love it. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Arb Life Podcast. Please follow along at the website, www.thearblife.com. Sign up for an email subscription to get all the latest updates of interviews and blog posts. This edition of the Arb Life podcast was brought to you from the passionate pursuit to find inspiration one tree at a time.